0: I'm Excited this morning. A couple of reasons. Uh, one is I'm so thankful for our graduates, man. When I look at those four high school students and just think about uh, what, what I am hopeful for, for your lives as being just godly men and women, I am so excited. And so just know that we're praying for you. Hey, if you're a graduate in this room of another program, whether it's graduating from college or a master's program or a doctorate or something like that, would you just stand real fast? We just want to recognize you as well. Any other graduates in this room that are wrapping up something? We got a couple right up here, there in the back. Back there, Miss Jordan, over here. Who we got? Is that Chloe? Hey, Chloe graduating. It's so exciting. So anyway, so we love you guys. We celebrate all of those milestones um, as a church. So if you saw somebody just stand, you know, like after the service, make a beeline for them, you know, like to congratulate them. You know, I know there's been a lot of hard work. I know several of the folks, um, you know, of, of what they've been working on and working toward. So anyway, very excited about that. The other thing I'm excited about is um, just the, uh, the the this this season of, of growth that we are in as a church of seeing people come to Christ. Um, of seeing people join with what God is doing through First Baptist New Orleans because we know it's not just about um, gathering here and that being kind of the, the end of it, but instead that we believe God is using us to be a blessing with the gospel to our city. And so today, if you're here as a guest and you would like to learn a little bit more about what God is doing at First Baptist New Orleans and really hearing kind of the heart of the church, it's a it's a class that I lead on the first Sunday of every month called Get to Know... FBNO, a little catchy title there. Um, but it's just down this hall right over here. And it is a great way to just learn a little bit more, to really hear the vision of the church, where are we headed, What are the core values of the church, and then to be able to ask some questions. Um, it's not a commitment, but if you are saying, you know what, I do want to join with what God is doing at First Baptist New Orleans, um, consider that a first step toward membership um, because we want to be on the same page that as people are coming in. And then from there, we schedule a membership meeting um, where we really just talk about the gospel, and we just want to be sure that every person has heard the gospel and has been able to share how the gospel, their understanding of the gospel, and where they are with the gospel um, through through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, so then um, we then uh, have a business meeting once every quarter, which is today. So if you're going to be sticking around today, we're going to have lunch uh, that's going to be provided in the fellowship hall at noon, and that's when we formally, as a church, as a congregation, um, vote in new members on a quarterly basis. And so anyway, so just so you can kind of get a feel for the membership process here at First Baptist New Orleans, as well as today, making it count by joining us for Get to Know FBNO. Well, this morning we're going to continue in God's Word in First Timothy chapter two. And so I invite you to turn there to First Timothy chapter two. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys to say that, that this passage, as I was preparing not only for this sermon, but kind of just reading through First Timothy, that's part of what I do when I'm about to be preaching through a book of the Bible, like I'm preaching through First Timothy, is I just read it over and over again. And I'm just going to go ahead and pass that on to you. That'd be a great idea for you during this time where we're walking through 1 Timothy. Just read it it over and over again. Maybe in one sitting, just start at chapter one and read all the way through chapter six. Um, It's really good to see the big picture of letters like this one. And so just maybe consider trying that once this week. But as I got to this passage, man, the Lord was again reminding me of how prayerless I can be. And you say, Chad, like you're you're our pastor is supposed to be very prayerful. I agree, like 100%. So, so know that, that I'm with you in that expectation, but yet I have to be honest in the confession that sometimes my own personal prayer life as a pastor, like the, the the prayerfulness that I engage in just for the church can at times be very small in comparison to the really the way that I feel it ought to be. And so as this passage was, as I was reading it, and God was just kind of reminding me about a prayerlessness that that can sometimes really permeate and characterize my life. I'm doing lots of good things. Maybe you can kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, identify with that. You know, you're doing lots of good stuff and all that, but but really just stopping and spending time with God um, of just feeling like, man, I ought to be doing better with that. And so know that this sermon series, and and what we're gonna do from this sermon is we're actually going to pause First Timothy and actually spend a few weeks of intentional prayer and we're going to be looking at several psalms and just really praying God's word and really just leaning into this call that Paul says because what he says is first of all and when he says first of all there there's no and then second of all in other words what he's saying there is of like of greatest importance like, you know, what, what I want you to, to, to put at the top of the list that you need to be about as God's people. This is what he's writing to, to Timothy and then, and then to the church at Ephesus and then to all churches at all time is, first of all, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And so this is how he leads off and how he starts with us and, and how important it is. So we are going to lean into that urging of Paul and take four weeks to do a series on prayer. And so I hope that you'll come ready. There's gonna be a prayer guide. I'm so thankful for Nicole Bandy and her help in creating this. It's this gonna be something that your family can use um, as well as you as an adult. Um, so it's gonna be something that for four weeks leading up to the Southern Baptist Convention coming to New Orleans and all the evangelistic work that will take place in our city that week, uh, we are gonna spend time in prayer just asking that the God of, of the harvest would send more laborers in into his harvest fields, praying for a great harvest that week that we see many people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and not just come to to faith, but then become part of a local body, whether it's this church or another one in our city. We have a lot of healthy churches in our city. We want to see the the kingdom of God come. His will be done on earth here in New Orleans as it is in heaven. And so we're going to be about that and be praying toward that end. And so with all of that kind of as a backdrop of where we're headed and and what we're doing, I want to invite you to just simply stand to honor God as you hear him speak to you today through his word, beginning in 1 Timothy chapter two. And I'm gonna be reading the first, verse, the first seven verses of chapter two this morning. So hear the word of the Lord, hear God speak to you this morning. First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil, and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Can you pray with me? God, thank you for your word and how it invites us into the good life of prayer and how prayer is so essential to all that you have designed for our life of relationship with you and one another. So, Lord, please, today, would you close the gap of our knowledge of understanding prayer? Would you close the gap of our understanding today of knowing you, God, our Savior, the the God who desires that everyone would be saved and would come to a knowledge of the truth? May our hearts come in alignment with yours, and then may we pray to that end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, in this passage, what we have is a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer. And really, it's a call to the good life of prayer, to the good life of prayer. And what I want us to see and what this passage is going to do today is it's going to reveal several things. But anytime that we come to God's word, we should be asking ourselves, what does this reveal first and foremost about God? How am I seeing God in this passage, and I want us to look and to see three aspects of God that are revealed in this passage. This call to prayer, verse 1, which is, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, some people may say, well, now pause, Chad. Can you distinguish each one of those aspects of what prayer is? The answer is yes, but those are very nuanced differences. In other words, it's not like this is radically different than this. You know, to to make a petition for someone is way different than to make an intercession from someone. A lot of times what we see with the Apostle Paul is he uses similar words to kind of string together or to reinforce an idea rather than trying to like really capitalize on the nuance of distinction of each thing. Sometimes Bible study teachers will do that. They'll do this deep dive into a word and really try to like make a huge separation between words when really a lot of times I think Paul, like a good preacher, okay, just imagine like a, a Fred Luter getting up here and him just saying, you know, like one thing after another, Paul is like really just, you know, stacking words on it to say, don't just save, you know, like don't, don't save prayer just to be an intercession like well, when I need to pray for someone that's sick, let, me, let prayer be a thanksgiving time too. And let it, let it be also some petitions that you make and let it be, you know, um, and then like, you know, the word just prayer right there, like just times of worshiping the Lord. He's stacking it so that we'll know that every occasion is an opportunity to pray. That's what he's driving at here. And, and the reason we can know that from the context is that he's wanting every occasion to be an opportunity to pray. Is because he says, pray for everyone, everyone. So, like, there's no person that's like, well, you don't need to pray about him or her or for that or this. He's saying, no, everything is an opportunity to pray, but he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just tell us, you know, pray, just, just pray, and you're like, okay, I need to be praying, you know, something like that. Instead, what, what God does in this passage is he really opens up our understanding of why, of why, first, of first importance. Paul is saying, I want you to pray. So let's see, first of all, God revealed in this passage. Notice down in verse three, that when he calls us into this life of prayer and how it leads into this life that we're gonna talk about in a moment, he then says, you know, this is good, but notice what it does and what it reveals about God. Number one, it pleases God, our savior. This is important for us, you know, to understand is that this life that he's inviting us into is pleasing to him. When we operate by his design, it pleases God. And that is the orientation of our life. If you want to know what your life purpose needs to be, it's about pleasing God. If you will orient yourself that way, that my life is to be lived to please him, to please him in every aspect, then this call to prayer begins to make a lot more sense and really fits in with a design, a way that God has structured all of creation in your life and mine to operate. But notice how this revelation of God and it pleasing God, our Savior, in this passage, it then leads into revealing the heart of God. It reveals the heart of God. Look at verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved. God, the God of all creation. He is a God who rightfully could punish all of us in our sin. None of us deserve his salvation and grace. There's not one person who can come before him and say, my righteousness, the condition of my heart deserves salvation. Because the Bible teaches there is none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible teaches that the consequences of our sin is death. Really what we should get as a consequence for our sin is an eternal hell of separation from God. God utter darkness and an extreme anguish. But instead, the nature, the heart of this God is that he desires everyone to be saved. Now, when we look at this and we we begin to to ponder it and we say, well, how does this compute with all the other passages of Scripture? How does this, this really add up in this moment? And we start to say, well, you know, like, is it really that he wants All, or is it all kinds of people, like people from every nation, tribe, and tongue? And and we start to get into these conversations of like, well, maybe it's only he's talking about, he only wants those to be saved who will ultimately believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. So he's not really meaning all here. Brothers and sisters, when we get into those sort of like, sometimes contentious conversations with each other about what's the extent of this and all that kind of stuff, I really think we're in danger of missing the heart of God. We're in danger of, of missing the whole point that the orientation of our life, I mean, notice what Paul says is to pray for everyone. He doesn't say pray only for those that, that will one day believe or only pray for people that are like you or that have the same religion. He doesn't, he doesn't qualify it at all. He's using really large terms here, all and everyone. And that should really speak a message to us of God align my heart to want everyone to be saved like God give me your heart that is a heart for all to believe that I want to see every Muslim nation turn to Christ That, that I have the heart that wants to see Vladimir Putin be a God worshiper I mean like that should be the orientation of my heart is to see every dictator every king Every country, every person, every criminal, every person that we say they rightly deserve some jail time. They, they've rightly done. It should be the orientation of our heart that they would be saved. Why? Because that's the heart of our God who saved us. And if his heart's gonna be formed in us, we need to pray not and get into you know contentious arguments about like, what's the extent of this? What does the word all mean here and all that kind of stuff? No, God, let your heart be formed in me. May I look at every person as a potential person to believe and trust in Jesus and to hold out the gospel as if they will. It reveals the heart of God and his heart should be revealed in us. Second, is this passage of prayer begins to take form. It reveals the reality of God, the essence of God. Notice what it says in verse five, for there's one God, there's one God. Now, we've got to be careful because we believe in a triune God. Now, this is important for us to understand because sometimes we start talking about this, and if we're not careful, it sounds like we're describing three gods. And in fact, if you begin to do evangelism among any Muslim, especially if you go to a Muslim nation, the very first thing they're going to throw back at you as a Christian is you believe in three gods. And a lot of us as Christians, we're like, Well, I mean, do I? You know, like, and we're just like, I don't really know how to talk about this triune God. Well, even that word triune is three in one. So we are people who always, like in accordance with all of God's word, have always believed in one God. But we uniquely believe among all the other world religions that this one God is eternally existent as three persons. And you say, Chad, I'm getting a little confused here. Welcome to theology, okay? It is a it is a discipline of the mind of really trying to wrap your, your, your mind around something that is beyond a quick grasp, a, a just a quick understanding, a quick illustration of using water in its different forms or an egg or something like that. We've gotta be careful when we start doing theology to just quickly speak of the Almighty. We need to ponder these things and really wrestle with it. But notice what Paul is doing here. Very precisely, he says, for there is one God. So you can stand with confidence in the face of any Muslim that you're sharing the faith with and say, no, we believe there's one God. And it's right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse five. But then notice how Paul continues, and one mediator, one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ, Jesus. This distinguishes us even further because there are many world religions believe that there are many mediators. Take Hinduism as a world religion. They believe that there are many mediators, many little gods that can help you to get to the big God. There are other religions, even within the United States, they believe that there are lesser gods, like a, a religion like Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that Jesus is a, is a little G God that you can have relationship with to get to the capital G God. And so like all of these things, we've got to be very mindful of how these religions work and, and, and what they're teaching when we come to a passage like this to understand that he is making very clear. And listen, we live in a Catholic environment. Some of you may be from a Catholic background. And one of the things that in Catholicism that, that sometimes will deviate from this passage is going to other mediators, of going to, to, to maybe a, a, a saint who lived sometime before. And a great example is this, I and mean, we're so thankful for the research and the incredible work that St. Jude's Medical Center does. But St. Jude is specifically the saint that when you have someone that's sick in your family, you're needing healing, that you can go and make intercession to God through St. Jude. Okay, using St. Jude to be an, an intercessor, a mediator, if you will, for you in order to see healing come in the life of your loved one. And so you'll see many times Catholics will pray to different saints in order to basically try to procure their, their blessing, their assistance in the situation that they're facing, okay? So that's important for us to understand, and this is not throwing rocks or making fun of Catholicism. Catholicism is full of many things that are trying to be very strict in their understanding of God's Word, but just like Catholics, so we have erred in our understanding of God's Word. It, there's been times where we as Southern Baptists have, have gone in the wrong direction. You know, when, when Southern Baptists believed that possessing a slave was okay for a missionary to do, we were wrong. We are wrong about that. And so we must, in accordance with God's word, repent of those things and then fall into truth, like come into line with this word. And so I would urge you, if you're here today and you're a Catholic, I would urge you to consider the truthfulness of this passage and allow it to guide you into a right understanding of a relationship with Jesus Christ, of this, he alone is the mediator for you. He alone is the mediator for you. And you say, well, Chad, how can you say that? I mean, there's all of these saints and all that. Look what it says. And there is one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. This means that the only way for you to come back into right relationship with God is through Jesus. That means that anytime that you're facing something in your life that is difficult or overwhelming or painful, there is one person who stands for you forever. Hebrews opens this up and develops it in incredible ways that we don't have time to really explore today, but to understand that, that Jesus didn't just open the door for you, he stands for you forever. Forever. He's your mediator at all times. And so you can go to him again and again and again and again and again with little things and big things and everything because he is interceding for you. And this is the reality of God. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. But then notice finally in verse six that that this passage reveals the nature of God Because it doesn't just stop with this statement, the man, Christ Jesus, notice the comma there, verse six, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. This is a self-sacrificing God. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever, we believe in him, believe in Jesus, that one mediator between God and man would not perish, but have eternal life. For Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is what the word teaches. This is what we've got to rekindle of purpose and understanding of God. So we see God first and foremost revealed in this call to prayer. And brothers and sisters, when you pray, you need to have a God orientation in your prayers. That you're becoming before God. You're not coming before one another to be heard. Jesus warned against that kind of praying to be, to basically just pray to be heard with your many words and, or maybe your eloquent words and all that. You get your reward, which is the applause of men. That gets you nothing with God. That Jesus instructed. But when you pray, go into your closet, like go, go to somewhere private and come before God. God who sees you, God who loves you, who loves you so much that he gave his son as a ransom for you. Go to this God who loves you and worship him. The second, notice that this passage reveals the good life. It reveals the good life. Now, I just want you to consider this for a moment, that that Paul has started off with prayer. He's calling us to prayer, but he says it leads somewhere that's good, and, and look at this description and just try it on for a moment, okay? Just like you were going to the dressing room and you were putting something on. Does this feel good? Does this feel right? Does it look good on me or whatever? Just try this life on for a moment, okay? Just, just see if it sounds good to you. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. A tranquil and quiet life. Do you want to know how much money people spend to have a tranquil vacation do you know how desirous people are of not being around people? That they will spend fortunes to get somewhere where nobody else is tranquil, ah, oh, quiet. To sit somewhere where they can't hear the hum of an engine, they won't be interrupted by children. They can just hear the, the 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 babble of a stream, or something like that, or the 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 gentle you know uh, hush of the the waves, you know, kind of coming over. The, the, to get to those places, that tranquility. To get to the quiet. I mean, how many of you, I mean, like, I, I feel like I have an anxiety disorder sometimes with dings and buzzes and things like that. You know, I, I turn off all the notifications on my phone because like when things kind of buzz or, or vibrate, so I'm just like, oh, you know, like, what is it now? Like, what did I miss? What do I need to respond to? You know, all those kind of things. And we live in a culture, right? That's just constantly inundating us. Every time you download an app, they want to like, can we notify you about everything that we Ever thought of ever, you know, and, and promote every product you never wanted. It's like, no, I don't want your notification. I mean, literally this morning I was going through because a notification came up for Panera Bread. I'm like, oh, what on earth do I need to know about Panera bread? You know, but it's buzzed, you know, right there on my screen. So I'm like, I'm going in there, I'm like, how did they get permission, you know, to notify me? We want a quiet life, tranquil and quiet with all godliness. You say, well, what does that mean? Godliness is manifest almost always in the word of how we take care of others. And he's going to go through here and, and then add the word with all dignity. You hop over to chapter 5 in First Timothy, and you want to know who he's looking out for and is saying, if you want to put your godliness on display, then you take care of widows that are truly in need. Paul is constantly on the lookout for the most vulnerable. James says pure and lasting religion is this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and keeping yourself from being defiled by the world. That's godliness. There's something right that's resonating in you with this tranquil, quiet life characterized by all godliness and dignity. That's the life that he's inviting you into. And it's this good life that reveals confidence in God's control of all things. It reveals confidence in God's control of all things because it's seen in a verse that, listen, we're gonna go through another time of testing in a moment as a church. A test that in some ways I feel like we didn't do so good at last time with this. Verse two, he says, be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority. Or kings and all those in authority. You say, well, if I voted for them, then I'll pray for them. Or if I like their policies, or if they're of my party that I'm registered, then yeah, of course. But I'm going to pray against these other folks. I'm going to pray against, you know, the, the, the welfare of their life. Jokes being made about, about the hoped-for death of, of elected officials, That is not to characterize the people of God. Such harsh joking, such critical speak. No, a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Some of the rhetoric that believers have entered into and are sharing on Facebook or Twitter and all that kind of stuff, it is not dignified. It is not godly. You say, well, Chad, like, are you saying that, you know, like I'm supposed to, to, to love this elected official that I think is bad for our country, bad for politics, all that kind of stuff? I'm saying that you're to love God enough that you say, I will obey your word. I'll pray for him. I'll pray for her. I may not have voted for them but I'm going to pray for their good. I'm going to pray for their salvation. I'm going to pray for their marriage. I'm going to pray for their children. I am going to live a life of dignity, whether they do or not. I'm going to, to obey the word, whether they do or not. And you say, well, maybe it was easier for Paul to say, Nero, Nero was emperor at this moment. He was king. And for fun, he would at times capture Christians tar them, and light them on fire to illuminate the street at night, burning Christians alive in order to provide streetlights. That's a tough time. I don't know any Christians that would have voted for Nero, but Paul, in a countercultural move, is saying, pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him give thanks for him, make intercession for him, make prayers for him, make petitions for him. Do you see how countercultural this message is? That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who is in office. For us, there is one who's never removed from office. And our, li- our lives are lived in this controlled sense that there is one who is in control at all times. There's one God. And then we have one mediator who is constantly interceding for us. His name is Jesus Christ. And that changes then how we deal with the political landscape in our day. We're gonna go into another political cycle. But brothers and sisters, it's not gonna be like the last one. That's not how we're going to love one another and how we're gonna walk in love for God Honoring him with all dignity and all godliness. We're going to do it different this time. We're going to do it better. Why? Because we are constantly being transformed by his word. We want to obey the word. We want to be scripture fed, and that changes everything. It also reveals the good life of peace in troubling times. Verse two. When it talks about that for kings and all those in authority, the persecution that the believers were experiencing at this time would only grow worse. Things didn't get better quickly. There were intense periods of persecution and we see it when you turn over to the book of Revelation and you begin to understand some of the difficulty that the churches that are up against. And you begin to understand the first century kind of manifestation of the, of the visions that, that John is receiving and how these things are at work of, of rises of power and overthrows of power and all of this political turmoil and all that kind of stuff. Things didn't get better quickly. Brothers and sisters, we have to have an endurance that even if things don't get better quickly, that we persevere in prayer that we continue to lean into God's word rather than say, you know what? I've prayed enough. It's time to do something. Brothers and sisters, we have never prayed enough. I mean, like that's not a statement that we can even ever make. And while that's not calling us to an inaction in the things that God has called us to to do, we must not grow weary in doing the very thing that God has said will result in the salvation of many. We've got to persevere in this way. Because, let me tell you who will suffer if we don't, the vulnerable. It's the most vulnerable among us who will suffer the most if you and I grow weary in doing the very thing that God has called us to do. And you wanna know who that is? It's the oldest among us and the youngest among us. That's who will suffer the most if you and I just throw ourselves headlong into politics and we start doing all this stuff. The invisible on both ends of life the ones we can't see many times in the womb or early in life, and those that are advanced in age. I was convicted of this last week. I was driving home and, and right as I was pulling down uh, in my neighborhood and turning on Music Street and coming up, I saw an ambulance in front of a house. It was in front of a house that I hadn't met those neighbors. It's about, probably about five houses away from me. And so I kind of stopped for a second to see like what's going on here. And right as I'm kind of slowing down to see what's going on, I see the paramedics walking out of the house and they're they're having to carry a lady because they couldn't get the stretcher into the house. And this lady looks to be probably in her late 80s, maybe 90s, frail, in a hospital gown, and they're carrying her out. And God pierced me in that moment. that I've been living in my house for two years and somebody that's just about five houses away over here never took the time to even get to know. How long has that woman been inside that home? how long has that woman been without someone to check on her and to care for her? Brothers and sisters, we're invited into a life of richest dignity for those that no one else sees. And why is that? Because God sees them. God sees them. We are always standing in the gap for the vulnerable. That's what we do. And it's as we Bow ourselves in prayer and we orient ourselves to God and God, we're going to love you, that then He fills our heart to have a love and compassion for the most vulnerable among us. And so we must commit ourselves to prayer because that life of caring for the for the vulnerable, of having peace in troubled times, of having confidence in God's control of all things, even when things aren't going well in our culture. That's the good life. That's the good life that God is extending to you in a life given to prayer. But then finally, what this passage reveals is a gap. It reveals a gap. First of all, it reveals a gap in our trust of the word. Notice what Paul has to say in verse seven. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it falls in a context where he's calling them to prayer. He says, for this, I was appointed a herald. He's talking probably very explicitly about the gospel, about Jesus Christ being the mediator between God and men. And so he's maybe, you know, talking about that, but it's in a context of him saying, trust this Christ, trust this God in prayer. He says, in an apostle, in other words, what I'm speaking to you, is God's message. An apostle was a messenger from God, not just Paul's opinion, but he's having to remind them, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. It reveals a gap in our trust in the word of God. You see, the first century had that same struggle with trusting trusting God's word. This isn't just Paul's ideas, Paul's idea of a good life, This is God speaking to us and you and I are at a moment of saying, I will trust the word. I will trust the word when it calls me to pray that it will produce the life that really is the life that I so desperately need. The good life of, of peace and trouble, of, of confidence in God's control in all times and of really the life where I'm saying we should stand for, we should stand against injustice. We should stand for the vulnerable. God is saying, yes, yes, come into that existence because I will fight for the vulnerable. I will stand in the gap. God is inviting us into what he has been doing from the very beginning, if we will turn to him. It reveals a gap in our trust in the word. The truth of this message is not an opinion of man, but a binding message from God. Second, it reveals a gap in our understanding of prayer. You see, the reality is that many times we see prayer as supportive, but not essential to the mission of God. But notice the sequence of Paul's kind of argument here. He's talking about, Pray that this may lead to a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness, and it pleases God who wants everyone to be saved. Connect the mission of God with the life that God has given you, a life that is to be characterized by prayer. God is wanting everyone to be saved. It is often us that aren't on that same page. And we're often not on that same page because we are not in communion with God that his heart might be formed in us. Second, it reveals a gap in our understanding of prayer, because we see prayer as optional and not essential to a life of justice and mercy. So many times we've allowed ourselves to pit, to pit, you know, like prayer or do something, pray or do something. Brothers and sisters, we've got to see that prayer is the means of doing something. Like that. This is, this is how it gets done is through prayer. You say, does it stop there? It never stopped there in the word. It never stopped there. It was as the church humbled herself and they prayed that God filled her with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, they went out boldly proclaiming. They went out boldly demonstrating this gospel of power. And finally, it reveals a gap in our understanding of prayer because we see prayer as politically partisan. That somehow like, you know, when we say something like, you know, pray for America, we see that synonymous with a political statement or a political party or that prayer belongs to this party and not this party or, or something like that. And brothers and sisters, we have got to get out of that way of thinking uh, of that prayer and that God somehow belonged to a political party. That is not our identity. That is not who we are. That's not where we get all bound up. Rather it, prayer becomes essential to loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not political to pray for those that are elected in office. In fact, I wanna challenge you today, real practical step. You say, well, I don't even know who my elected officials are. If you're registered in the state of Louisiana, I encourage you today, pull out your phone and to go to the app store And to download, go, G-E-A-U-X, because we're in Louisiana, go vote. And sign in with your credential, your name, and all that kind of stuff. And you want to know what comes up? All of your elected officials. Not just everybody's, but the ones specific to your district, the ones specific to your neighborhood or, or where you are. And that can become a prayer list for you where you begin to pray for them. And hey, what, what about this? What if you, as you prayed for them, you just dropped them a note saying, hey, I'm praying for you today. That God's word has called us to pray for all those in, in, uh, in, in authority. And so I just want you to know that, that I'm praying for you is an act of obedience to God's word. I mean, I, I just don't know what that could do for people, but I can tell you that even just right before the service, when someone came up and encouraged me, and just said, hey, I just want you to know that I appreciate you, and I'm thankful for you. It does something. It does something deep for your soul when you're appreciated. And so brothers and sisters, let us be that salt. Let us be that light for those that are elected in in official positions, but shame on us if we don't utilize something as easy as a free app in order to get a hold of them, to look at all of them and to pray for them by name and to reach out to them in intentional ways. But then finally, and here's the thing, I've just been sitting up here for about 37 minutes and guess what we haven't done yet? Prayed. And right, that's a tendency for us to talk about prayer, for us to say, you know what? We need to pray more. Let's read a book. Hey, we need to pray more. Let's do a Bible study on prayer rather than just pray. And so what I want us to do for these next few moments together, is I just want us to pray. What I'm going to be doing over the next five weeks is I'm going to be inviting any that would like to to come and literally participate in this moment by leaving your seat and just coming and kneeling at these steps. You may kneel right at your seat, or you may just need to stay seated. I realize some of us have physical limitations that you know I can't get up and, and move in this moment. But I want this to be a time that all of us participate. Nobody's just sitting by and watching, but we're praying. And so music's going to be playing lightly in the background. And what we're going to do in these moments is I'm just going to guide us with some prompts of things to pray for in accordance with God's word today, but just to spend time in prayer. So whatever posture you need to move to, I invite you in this moment to do so. God, in these moments of prayer, we humble ourselves before you in accordance with your word, Lord. And forgive us for so many times of just not entering into the very sacred space that you have created by the gift of your son to be able to come into your presence and to simply worship you. So God, first and foremost, we thank you for Jesus. He was given as a ransom for us, and he now stands as our mediator. To so spend time just worshiping God for the gift of Jesus Christ. with your word we want to pray today for kings and all those in authority the Lord today we want to pray for President Biden and for his wife and for their children and Father we pray that each one of them if they don't know you in a personal and real way that they would know the joy and the freedom of relationship and forgiveness in Jesus Christ and in Him alone We pray, Father, for wisdom as decisions are made on a daily basis that impact the lives of so many. We acknowledge, God, that you allow individuals to come into places of authority and leadership. But God, we acknowledge you as the supreme leader and authority in our lives. So God, it is with joy that we pray for the president, And we pray, Father, giving you thanks that according to your plan, he's in office at this moment. So Lord, would you bless him and bless his leadership. Spend time in this moment just thanking God for other elected officials that you know of and those that are in authority. also want to pray for police officers, specifically in our region, God, for New Orleans Police Department and Jefferson Parish, Father, for the surrounding river parishes, God, we pray for these police officers. We know that this is an extremely difficult time to be an officer. We know that there is a great need for more officers in our community and that those that are serving, Father, are discouraged. So, Lord, please, would you you bless them? Would you encourage their souls? Would you protect them, Father? Would you bring healing in their lives, God, from the trauma that they experience day after day? And, Father, please, would you bring peace through the gospel into our region? May we not put the burden of peace on police officers, Lord. And may we look to you and ask that through the power of the gospel, that there would be peace in our city and that there would be peace even in our police department. In this next moment, I just want you to bring someone into your mind that you're praying for, who right now is facing something in their health. There's always someone right now is going through something very difficult, a health crisis. So would you bring them before the Lord and make intercession for them in this moment? Next, I want you to pray for that person that you know is running from the Lord. It may be your child. It may be your grandchild. It may be a friend that you see that they are just running from God. Pray, pray that in God's grace that they will return to him. Finally, bring the names of those that you know that do not know Christ before the God who desires that all would be saved. Bring their names before him knowing that it is his heart that they experience the grace that comes alone in Jesus Christ. Our God, we worship you today. We are so grateful for the life that you have designed for us. God, forgive us for not trusting you to walk in your ways. May we be reminded today that this is good for our souls, to humble ourselves before you and to pray and to make intercessions and thanksgivings and prayers and petitions for everyone, for kings and all those in authority so that we may live lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity, that this is good and it pleases you, God, our Savior, who desires for everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So Lord, bring us more and more as a church into conformity with your word. Your word is good, and we want our lives to be transformed by you. So Lord, please, we now pray that you would send us into our city with the hope of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you've never experienced salvation through faith in Jesus, I'm gonna be standing right over here. And if you wanna know what it means to trust and to follow Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to come right here, but we're gonna sing a song. I'm gonna invite for everyone to stand. And if you're here today and there is something weighing heavily on your heart and you need prayer, our pastors will be standing right here ready to pray for you in these moments. And so let's just sing a song of response as we conclude our service today.